Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. I'm your host, James Cordner. And, uh, well, my website is freeyourmindne.com. Today is August 12th, 2023. We're coming at you live, live every Saturday night for the most part. Last week was a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a speed bump, a roadblock, if you will, down the, down the, uh, the path to the, the show. Uh, Sometimes it just doesn't work out. You know, you get some guests and they can't make it and that's, that's okay. Uh, but I had a, uh, I had a decent night off last Saturday night. Um, and tonight, well, we're here, we're present and we're ready. So thank you all for tuning in tonight. My guest is Woody Martin from the one great work network, artswill.com. And, um, we'll bring and uh, we'll bring him in in just a minute. So, um, Lately, I've been doing some contemplating and I've been trying to like figure this out. I thought to myself, maybe I should change the name of this show and like a few other things, but it just kind of dawned on me like, nah, I should stay. I've been riding this for a long time now, a few years now, and it, why, why, why get rid of it? So a hitchhiker's guide to truth, it shall remain. Um, I was thinking about this for like a couple months, the last few months I was thinking about this and I just, you know, recently just kind of like, uh, came out and I made some Facebook post about it, but story short, I've just decided to keep it. So the show's changing. That's why, like a lot of things have been changing lately. My approach to doing this show, um, has changed. So I thought, you know what, like maybe I'm outgrowing the title. Maybe the show isn't the same thing anymore. Maybe the title doesn't apply. So but instead, like after a couple, a talk with a couple of friends, shout out Chris and Stephanie. Uh, I'm, I'm just like, all right, no, let's let's keep it, and let's um, make some segments. You know, let's let's do something like that. Let's have some fun with it. You know, uh, so that's what we're gonna do. I would like to direct everybody over to the t-shirt shop. You can get this t-shirt that I'm wearing. You can get one for yourself. And all the proceeds are going toward uh, paying for my tuition to autonomy, which starts in September. And that is a big deal. That's a big deal for me. It's going to, it's really going to level things up for me. And um, I, I just, I'm just asking for some help. I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really expecting much, but I mean, a little bit of help would be great. I mean, that, that would be cool. And plus you get a cool t-shirt designed by yours truly in return. So, uh, that, that link is in the show description right now, wherever you're, 
I think wherever you're watching it, it's in the show description. Come over to freeyourmindne.com forward slash live and get the full show notes for what's going to be going on this evening after the interview. We're going to be continuing our, uh, continuing taking a, a deep dive to look for, uh, just something to look forward to. We, I, uh, a few, you know, you guys know a few weeks back, I had Stephanie Kosinen on the show and we were talking about homeschooling. We were talking about a lot about uh, John Taylor Gatto. And we had actually brought up something about provisional self-esteem. And at that point, Stephanie had mentioned that being a part of some of John Taylor Gatto's work where he pointed that out at one point. And we couldn't really draw a conclusion as to exactly where that where that line of thought was coming from or going to. Well, I have figured that out. So tonight we're going to get into that. There's also some developments going on uh, recently. There was, well, well, we'll explore that when we get there. So we have some things about technocracy to go over. We have some things about uh, the new world order to go over. We have more about homeschooling to go over. And uh, what else do we have? well, I, uh, we're going to be ending the show yet again with my new favorite segment, the I had to watch it. So now you do too segment. And yeah, it's going to it's going to be fun. This week is not as disturbing, but it is a little bit of a revelation of the method uh, kind of from a movie a long, long time ago. So without any further ado, uh, my guest tonight is Woody Martin. Woody Martin is an artist. He's an illustrator and he is now a a an author and he is here with us this evening to discuss uh, much about all of that and with uh, and here he is woody martin everybody how are you tonight woody i'm doing fantastic uh thank you so much uh for having me on your show i'm super grateful for that and uh definitely uh go to his shirt shop um I, as a graduate of autonomy, I know that it's definitely going to help him level up his skill set. And you're going to be amazed at the kind of shows he's going to be putting on after he's gone through that. So, (laughs) oh, yeah, I think, um, I think Stephanie had mentioned that you, that you went through autonomy. I had no idea uh, that you had when I invited you on, but I was talking with her earlier today. I was, I was pumped. I was like, Oh, Hey, by the way, that dude, you mentioned I'm, I'm having him on. And she was like, Oh yeah, I know him from autonomy. I was like, Oh wait, I didn't know he went through that. Uh, but I just found out about that today and I'm glad that you mentioned it. So, um, why don't we start there? Like, how did you hear about autonomy? Uh, Mark Passio's website. So, Uh um, I was, followed him since probably about 2015 and then that you know he never really advertised much stuff on his website for before and then that popped up and i was like oh let's check it out and i kind of went down that richard grove uh rabbit hole for a little bit and (laughs) yeah awesome went through the course and learned a lot from it took away a lot um richard was actually a huge inspiration for me starting this book um, he had suggested uh, that I do a book, and so now I have a book. <laughs> well, there you go. There you have it. So about your book, uh, well, shall we start um, a little bit more about your background with sure. uh, we'll with, get to uh, that. <laughs> with art? Um, and uh, But I 
I think what I would rather actually, uh, what my, what my gut is telling me is I should ask you like about your history with truth seeking or, you know, going down and going down these rabbit holes or like, you know, what, what is there a, is there a kind of a, a single moment in your life that you think about from time to time where it's like the first time where this first event where you knew something was, something was wrong, something was off with the state of uh, the condition of, uh, of, of humanity. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a single moment, but it's just always kind of been in my being. Like ever since I was like a kid, I was always kind of questioning stuff and just, um, you know, on the fringe of stuff kind of, you know, and, um, but then going through high school and stuff and like, the uh, um, I grew up in Colorado, and so when I was in high school, the Columbine event happened, and that was like I knew kids that uh, I didn't personally know anyone that was at, in the Columbines, but I had uh, some acquaintances that I went to high school with that were that had cousins and stuff that like you know I think one of them even lost his life or something, and then like so that. And, like, so our whole school, like, basically lost focus, right? And all the, even the teachers and everything. And then, like, the next day, the principal, like, through this assembly, and he was, like, mad at us for, like, losing our focus because of those events that took place, not, you know, 20 minutes, 30-minute drive from our high school, right? And so that kind of was an event that kind of opened my eyes a little bit just because I was like, you know, this is, it's mostly the fact that my high school principal was kind of like mad at us for like being interested in that and like stuff. And then we were all like, the whole school was just distracted. The teachers had like the news on the TV and everything, you know, and like, and so, but then the, like a week later because everyone was so up in arms about him like have an assembly to like basically say that how we were bad for like losing our focus you know when that event happened and um that just there's something weird about that to me and then you know going you know I went to art college and stuff and then the you know obviously the 9-11 stuff was pretty impactful and and then I had a teacher actually in college and he, um, we were in a script writing class and he, he, he like brought something up about like, he's like, ah, you, cause he was a uh, European, right? And so he was like, oh, you guys, you Americans don't have anything to say. You're all just so, um, I don't know, almost, he didn't say brainwashed, but almost just like so conformed and everything's so easy for you that you don't even have really anything to say. And that kind of got me thinking a lot about things, you know, and um, I did, I started to kind of get into some of the alternate stories of events that have taken place because, you know, we had a friend who, 
during the whole 9-11 event that was Spanish. And so he was watching the coverage on the Spanish channel, right? And like, then he'd watch it. Then he came over to her house and he was watching it on the, just the normal networks. He was like, this is, there's some incongruencies here from the Spanish coverage to the, you know, American coverage, even on a American Spanish, you know, network. It's not like he was like in Mexico watching this stuff. But, um, so, so I just, yeah, I just started questioning things. And then I guess when I had kids, I just was like, I need to start doing something about this because now I have kids and they're going to have to like be living in this world. And, you know, I'd rather them have a better world than me. I mean, I guess all parents want that. Well, we hope, we hope for sure that at least most parents want that, you know, that's that we got to keep our fingers crossed that, you know, but the, it's, it's great that you want that. And I want that as well. So we're two guys operating on similar frequencies there, brother. So good on you for that because there's a lot of people out there who have children uh, because that's just what they think they are supposed to do. And then that's kind of the attitude that they carry along. There's a lot of people uh, have that attitude. And then after the child is born, things change, right? Their mentality changes, you know, plenty. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have that kind of prescribed belief because you don't really know how you're going to respond until it actually happens to you. You hear what, you know what I mean? So it's almost as if that's okay. But if you're carrying that with you after the child's born and like your brain doesn't change and you're just like, oh, I'm just a supposed to be like some weird caricature of, of, of some, of a father or uh, a parent, you know, that you think you're, you know, it's like, man, a lot of people are fucked up out there when it comes to how they're raising their kids, you know, but uh, something I found interesting about your story with the, the school principal during that event, it's almost as if, man, I, I I'm like hearing you tell that tale and I'm hearing, I'm, I'm like hearing between the lines, like this principal, like wanted you guys to not be affected by this. And he yeah. wanted you guys just to carry on with the status quo, like nothing happened. It's like, yo man, that school was 20 minutes that way. You know, that this is, it's not like over here in new England, hearing about it back in, what is it? 99, 98. 42098, 42099. I know it was on 420. I don't remember the exact year, but you know, um, yeah, it's one of those. I think 99, 98. I'm pretty sure it was 99, but it was. Yeah, like I think the, so. Yeah, it was like one of the like the first like horrific mass shooting or school shooting in a long time since. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I can't really tell you before then, but I know that that. Uh, what is it? Uh, Kent state in Ohio. That was, that was one of the big ones before Columbine, you know, and that was the national guard killing four people at Kent state in Ohio. Anyways, this isn't the school shooting show, but, uh, but that's what I heard. You, you basically, I know these principles, these people, they just want, you know, and we're, and I'm going to get into that later tonight about, about, uh, I'm going to be reading some, uh, I'm going to be reading a chapter of, uh, a, uh, of dumbing us down by John Taylor Gatto. And it's all about like how the, it's like what, what te- the seven things that teachers really teach, 
the students. And that, that kind of thing is in there where it's just like, just what, why are you, you know, <laughs> anyways. And it also made me think about the reaction that the teachers uh, in, in my school when on nine 11, when they all gathered us around and like, we had like this, you know, it's like the cliche story. I think it, it's weird how it almost seems like they all did the same exact thing, no matter where you were in the country, they kind of wheeled in the, the, the television cart and put it on TV and, you know, everyone's watching and, Oh, there they go. They're all, you know, and then they gather us all in the auditorium and then we all watch it together over and over again. And it's like this weird thing. And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. I was sitting there crying like a, like a baby at like, I was like 12 and the teacher comes up and goes, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong? Like, we're not supposed to watch. We shouldn't be watching this. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with this. I said that to the teacher and, uh, nothing just like fell on deaf ears. It was just the strangest thing. Yeah, it's almost like they told the teachers, like, hey, we're we're on the TV, so bad events happen. We need to like traumatize these kids for a little bit or something. Or or yeah, well <laughs> or I mean, or that's just like their natural response to, to this. It's just you know, and and We gotta know like, what's going on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it it was it was fucking strange. Really strange. I guess another piece of the answer to your previous question for me is like I've always kind of been this person who like will go out of my way for common courtesy, you know, mm. like for instance, I'll like park like far away because I'm young and I'm able and I can walk. Like I'm not going to fight for the closest spot. You know, I'm saving that spot for some old dude or woman or something, you know, that can barely walk, but's too proud to get a handicap sticker, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, that, that, that's so, that's so great because that's a, a lot of people are, aren't very, they don't carry themselves with courtesy a lot of the times these days. I, for that's one, like, I don't, I don't see, I don't really go into the parking lot with that type of, you know, type of mentality. Like maybe if I'm alone sometimes, you know, but most of the time I'm like, let me get that. Let me get I mean, that that's spot. a silly example, but here's another <laughs> silly parking lot example. I'm walking out of Home Depot one day, and it's windy, right? And there's a cart, like, legit, like, cruising across the lot. And it's, like, heading towards, like, this, like, I don't know, it's, like, a nice Volvo or something. It's a pretty nice car, though. You could tell this person was parking far away because they had a nice car. And so I, like, full sprint, like, as fast as I can to catch this cart. And I stop at literally four inches from like jamming into this guy's door. I didn't have to do that. You know, no one saw me doing that. You know, I, did, I never got a thank you. But if, if it were my car, I would have liked someone to do the same thing for me, you know? Yeah. And, and these are just silly examples of like, you know, it's like. Yeah, but that one know, thing that I you open just... doors for people or something like that, you know, but. Yeah. I, I mean, not that it's like so much about, you know, doing the right thing, but that, that little bit that you just said about, you know, no one was watching, no one saw me do it. And it's just like, yo, know, you, you kind of threw on a little bit of a Superman cape there for a second. And you were for a minute there, you were, you were somebody else's hero. You said you might've saved them a lot of headache. No one likes getting there. I mean, sure. It's a material thing, but you know, no one likes a big gash down the side of their car or, or a scratch on it or, or whatever. It's just, 
but it, it was just a nice thing to do just because it was the nice thing to do, you know, and not because anyone was watching or gave you a merit badge for doing it. It's just, Hey, I did it. I did know? think about how can I track down the scumbag who didn't put this thing in the corral, you know, because <laughs> if he would have put it in the corral, whoever it was, that thing wouldn't have been blowing across the parking lot, you know? So. Yeah. That's a big thing. I try to like teach my, my son and I try to, you know, I, I try to remind people is just like, you know, do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do, not because you, you want some kind of trophy or, or some kind of reward out of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like, you just do it because it's the right thing to do. And that includes when no one's watching. So, you know. And that's kind of layered into, like, why I was like, I've seen all this stuff in the world and all the selfishness that's out there and all this stuff. And I'm just like. It's almost like I didn't fit in because I'm like, here I am. I'm like dog-earing things so people can open something easier when, for, you know, as a, you know, like a tape. I used to work like in art and I'd like pack up art and like ship it. And I'd like dog-ear the tape so it's like easy to peel off and open, you know. So like just little things like that that most people are just going to like put the tape on. Whatever, you know, silly things. So. Yeah. Yeah, man, for sure. Um so what, what, uh, I mean, I've seen some of your illustrations and, and everything, but like, what would you say is the, the style or the type of art that you, um, that you like, that you do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, right now it's, I'm basically concentrating on doing these children's books and also fine art, like oil painting and also uh, some animation. So my the primary goal for Arts Will, uh, the website has been to showcase different animations that I'm producing. Currently I'm working on one that's dealing with lying. And then, um, uh, and then I have the other website for the book. And so that's more like the animation stuff's more like focused towards like adults and um you know older teens and stuff like that whereas the children's books are more for like kids you know but you know a adults might be getting into like some of this content and like oh this i really like what this guy's doing and i want to teach some of this stuff to my kids and so that's why i'm kind of like used to doing children's books too because i've always had kind of a whimsical just cartoony style as it is anyway so i'm like why fight it let's just do some children's books <laughs> yeah lean into it right but i started out at, like literally as i started out when i started out as an artist it was just all about making jokes and like doing funny stuff or just stuff that's out there like i had this whole series of animals in outer space just total nonsense basically <laughs> but then like i started getting into stuff and seeing bad things in the world and just seeing the lot the public just straight up being lied to and i'm like you know what i need to change my art and make it like put let's put some meaning behind this art to try to like help wake people up into like understanding like what true freedom is you know and um objective morality different things like that yeah. so um and the, some of the inspiration came from you know just doing like hours and hours of research from, you know, 
ancient civilization kind of alien stuff all the way to like Mark Passio to like, you know, school sucks kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> so you're, so you would say that your animations and your, your books are, you know, centered around natural law? I would say so. The first, uh, right now there's only one animation out there uh, that I've really promoted and it's, I actually made it in 2006 and it's, this is a clever play on the words brainwash where a guy like is watching TV, gets set up, pops his head open, pops his brain out, washes all the bad stuff out and then puts his brain back in and it just shows him leaving his, you know, out into the world, you know, at the end. It's pretty short. It's just mostly short stuff like that. You know, I'm working on one now. I took a break from animation for a while, and now I'm kind of just, you know, I went to a research phase for like a lot of years. Mm -hmm. I didn't do a ton of art. I mean, I was still doing art, but just more like just drawing and doodling and just nothing that really meant a whole lot. And I got obsessed with like sacred geometry for a while, and I was like, like drawing all these flower of life, like fractaling inside of each other, and like, oh my gosh, just tripping out on that, you know, like. Whoa, like there's like 50 flower of life, like all like frackled, perfectly intertwined within each other. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. And uh, then, you know, I was just like, I got to start, you know, sh this message, you know, I got to start share sharing truth, sharing these concepts for freedom, like more out, like basically objective morality, understanding that and actually living by those principles a huge thing. And so that's kind of the direction my art's been going and that's the direction that's going to continue going in with both children's books, animation and fine art um, paintings. Yeah. Some people do, you know, you're, you're a prime example of, of um, the opportunity to kind of show people that, you know, putting this message out there and, and paying it forward doesn't come always in the form of a podcast or a written blog, these types of mediums, you know, sometimes it, it's, it, I think that it's important to point out that you've recognized your own skills, your skill set, and where your strengths are and that you're going to, you're going to, um, you're going to follow that path. That's how you're, that's how the message is going to come out through you is a children's novel or uh, a, a, well, a, a children's book, sorry, illustrations, animations, where you're going to be like flowing, you're, you're in your natural kind of surroundings, and you're going to, your, your strengths are really going to be able to be uh, shown that way, you know, kind of like a self-actualization type of thing, realizing your potential type of, type of thing, where some people try to force themselves into, um, into a, a little, a little box that they're not meant to be in. And uh, I really appreciate your approach because it I shows mean, that it's possible to do this in many different ways. So I'm confident I could do a, you know, weekly streaming show or whatever. Um, and, but I, you know, I, I'd rather, I think I can reach a different audience with the art and the animation stuff. It's just a little bit, to me, it's just more fun and it, it takes longer to do. So it's like, I know a lot of people are like, well, you should just do a podcast because you can do one every week and then you can build a following and da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, well, I could, or I could do it this way. And 
maybe I wouldn't won't build my following as fast, but I'm putting out content that I want to put out and I like doing art. And so I think it's going to reach different audiences than if I just did a, a podcast or a, you know, a show similar to this or whatever. Well, um, uh, not that there's anything wrong with you, not these are. I was about to say, like, I, I, I apologize. I didn't mean to. Um, I didn't mean to kind of. No, it's uh, not. I, uh, say I didn't mean to anything. say that. Like, I didn't mean to allude to anything. Like, you couldn't. You know, I mean, it's. Oh no, no, no! It's not. That's not. I wasn't implying that at all. But yeah. Great. Um, but yeah, that's just the direction I just chose to go in, and I'm, you know. Just as long as I can stay focused and not play with my kids all day, then I can get start getting expediting my content a little more than it has been, you know. But uh, yeah. Well, the, the the children's books, they the playing with your kids could you could draw inspiration from that that experience. Sure, sure. So yeah. it's like almost as if it is. Uh, it is you know that. Of course, you know, we have to raise our kids, but like your approach, the way that you're doing your art and doing the children's books, like playing with your kids is like inspiration, you know? Yeah, no, I was, we were doing, uh, me and Joanna, we did a show for actually probably several, almost half a year, uh, drawing nature in. It's on one great work now. And we basically, it was just like setting up and we we're just painting and talking philosophy and natural law for like three hours oh come to think of it you <laughs> know like what i, I remember seeing that there. and so i don't know what happened joanna had like some st other stuff that she wanted to pursue so we kind of stopped doing that and kind of went our own directions which is fine or whatever there's no hard feelings or anything there and uh but yeah i don't know i i thought about like you know maybe continuing that a little bit we'll see maybe maybe we'll pick it up again someday we don't know but they're all still out there for people to to listen to us uh you know we had a couple of people that came on with us and stuff and uh that's fun just like it what but the, the thing i liked the most about it was that it was once a week i had a three-hour block and i had accountability i had to go and paint you know and we just we set up our camera instead of looking at me as I'm talking, I was talking, but it's my canvas and I was just painting on it as we discuss things. And so it was kind of fun. Um, and I did nine paintings that were in the 2022 truth show in Pueblo, uh, as a result of that show. So that was, that was great. Nice. Uh, Stephanie's in the chat, blowing up the chat right now. But she had this to say, and uh, Stephanie yeah. says, in terms of the messaging we use and the modeling we display, how do we raise our kids to be the type of person who dog ears the tape simply because it gives them joy to make someone else's day easier? Would you, would you like to take that one on? You want me to leave it up? Maybe. I uh, yeah, I'll. Uh, I don't know if I have a clear answer, but I would say just encourage morality in in the children and maybe even just lead by example like as a, a parent say hey look at this daddy's going to need to open this later let's do this little thing to make it easier for him or you know i don't know i can't think of a, another example right now but yeah like just little things like or maybe like you know park your car far away and be like hey we're going to walk because 
you know, there's probably older people that are, that need, would benefit from having this closer spot than us or, you know, so I don't know that my parents really did that that much. I just, I understood like that, you know, they taught me the golden rule and, you know, I was raised kind of loosely Catholic. And so I never, I, some of that stuff, I was just like, that, that was kind of like, I was just like, I don't know about some of this stuff, but I like this stuff they teach about treating others good. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that and I'm going to kind of forget about some of the other dogma in there that was kind of unneeded, I guess I would say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You, you took the answer right, right from me, man, you know, lead by example, give explanations because they're going to ask why, you know, they're going to be like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? So you have, be prepared for that, <laughs> you know, that type yeah. of thing. To make sure. it someone else's life easier in the future or mm-hmm. potentially even your own life easier in the future. Yeah. It makes me think about when I used to work in kitchens and we'd have to like set up our stations and break them down and prep and do all of these things. And you would think at the end of the day, you know, the end of the shift, that's that, but no, you have to refill your station. It's like, well, I'm not working in the morning and the, and us as chefs, we'd always tell the guys like, and this is something I was told when I was just, when I was just a line cook, but when, you know, the tradition was, is that, well, you look out for the next guy, you know, you, you set up the next guy for success, you know, same team type of mentality. It's like, how would you like it if you walked in at, at nine o'clock in the morning and, the station was empty and no prep was done, you know, like, or even was still a mess with like dried up food and stuff on there from the day before, you know, you don't want that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, like, um, I work as a, I, I drive a truck these days. So I'm, I use, I worked this morning. So I, uh, I don't always on a, I don't always use the same truck. So, Sometimes when I'm using a different truck, I go on a Saturday The we don't have our fuel delivery on Saturday. So I don't know who's going to use the truck I used today on Monday. So I go and I figure out a way to refuel the truck to make sure that whoever's using it Monday comes into a full tank of fuel. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just about, like you mentioned the golden rule, like that's probably the most important one of the most important things is like just treat people how you want to be treated. I don't want to come into an empty tank. I don't want to come into a, a messy situation. So why should I put that on someone else? Yeah. Some you know? people argue the golden world. They're like, well, some people like to be tortured. So they're yeah, going to well, torture. That's not how well, they've been, they've gone through some trauma. They like torture. That's such a, that's such a, like, <laughs> I don't know. That's that almost sounds like a fallacious argument because it's a cop out. It's a cop out. It's not about treating people the way that they want to be treated. It's about treating people, other people the way that you want to be treated. So I don't want to be tortured. I'm not a, I'm not some sort of masochist. I don't like that being done to me. So I'm not going to do it to other people. You know, it's like if somebody likes being tortured, I mean, that's weird. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're already a masochist, right? So if they're a masochist and they like torturing themselves, maybe they will torture other people. I don't know. But so, so then I'm like, so my response to that is then like, 
oh, you don't like to treat others how you want to be treated. So then just treat others people good then. I mean, that was, that would be where I would bring in the idea of consent yeah. and, and voluntarism and like making sure that you're not, because until you get consent for that type of behavior, uh, you're going to start treating people in that masochistic way. I mean, if we're going to go with this line of thinking, yeah. then, right. uh, then uh, without their consent, then that's violence and you don't have the right to do that. So you, you, the golden rule kind of doesn't apply there. You need consent. You know? Yeah, it's uh, like you've almost, yeah, once you've done that consent, you've almost entered into like a game type of situation where it's like, oh, I've signed the waiver. Now, if I get injured, like, yeah, uh, it's, I'm accepting my injuries because I signed the satanic waiver. That... <laughs> Waving liability. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of like, how the karmic debt gets, gets charged up, you know, it, it gets charged by not having consent. You know, if I think that the karmic debt gets waived if consent is there between two like people that are on that, I guess it would need to be informed consent because it would have to be between two people that would understand the consequences in case things go south. And if they under, if they have the cognitive ability to understand the consequences, Regardless if they if if they actually do or not, the fact that they have the cognitive ability to understand the consequences is what counts. Maybe they still don't understand, but they have the ability to, and that's what makes the difference. And if, the, if they're consenting, then there's no there's no karma being being put there. You know. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> and yeah, it's, I don't know. Bottom line, it's just all about morality. It's like, in my eyes, there should be one law. Like, treat other people right, you know? It's like, yeah. It's too bad too many understand. people, like, they want to argue about that word and what it means. Like, you, you see it all the time. All the time, people want to argue about what's right for me it might not be. It's like, no, that's called moral relativism. And that's, that's, kind of uh evil <laughs> you know it's it's terrible but people have people can't even understand what right is you know and uh they want to equate morality to uh religion and it doesn't need to be equated to that in fact they don't they don't even have to have anything to do with one another you know you don't need to be a religionist to be a moral person you know. Precisely. And, you know, when I created my book, the uh, Sofinali, Right Versus Wrong, the uh, um, or Wrong Versus Right, I have it. But, uh, yeah, that's why I created it, because morality. And then some of the research I did before I did the book was, like, most of the books on morality were religious, and there's all these complaints of people online in the comments, like, oh, like, I'm work for a school or I, I, my psychological practice, I, I can't have anything that has to do with religion. So it's like, so that's kind of my book is like, it's, there's no religion in here. It's just straight up an adults, you know, it's just an opposite, simple opposites book with an adults of, right. That's, this is the website that, uh, is just brought up here too. And that just kind of talks about, an introduction to the book. Um, 
with the characters from the book in there. And then you get a sneak peek into the book there. We've got the one Soph character stealing the toy from the Ollie character. And, um, and then the other scene you have her asking. So it says, Soph stealing hurts Ollie's feelings. That's wrong. Soph will ask nice for the toy. That's the right task. And so, and the other, there's some little dialogue here coming out of the character saying, can I play with the whale? And then Ollie says, when I'm done. And yeah, you know, it's not always gonna play out like that with kids obviously, but you know, when they see examples like that, it helps them um, do it. I've been making the books myself, a uh, soft cover where I laminate it and, and stuff. I have a, the uh, hardcover. I have a hardcover. I'm working on the print on demand through Barnes and Noble. So I should have the hardcover coming out uh, soon as well. And that will be, there'll be a link to get there from the website um, once that is finalized. <laughs> so there's a link in the show notes right now. <clears throat> uh, right now, live. Uh, sofandolly.com and you can go there and and you can get this book for your kids your niece your nephew uh your grandkids uh friends kids you know type of thing because this is like a big this is like a big deal you know because uh we talk about all the time about like about waking people up you know we talk all the time about waking them up well we got to wake these people up you know most of the time that that is something that we're saying about adults. But the thing is, is that there's whole generations of, of children out there that never have to be asleep in the first place. And the big picture of waking people up and not being asleep, it all revolves around how we treat each other. The difference between right and wrong action is the moral relativism that people are not privy to. They, let me put it differently. They're not aware that a, that morality is objective, and they think that they, you know, that they can just go around kind of deciding what's right and wrong for themselves at a whim. And it's not to say everyone's going to go out there and make excuses to murder, but there are certainly levels to it. So this is like a big, this is a big deal, making children's books because, you know. Um, they need to know about yeah. theft. Uh, you know, they need to know about what theft really is. You know, and this is that's this is a, a a great thing that you're doing. So yeah, I, so there's a you know a handful, a little more than a handful of anecdotal opposites, essentially. You know, that that run throughout the book. I pretty much rhyme, make it made it rhyme all the way through the uh, the ones off my website. Uh, the soft covers, I'm hand signing and doing a hand drawn character on the inside of two, inside the cover there. Once the hard covers come out, those probably aren't going to be signed because they go directly from the print place or whatever um, to the Barnes and Noble thing. And so, but yeah, maybe eventually I'll uh, I can buy a bunch of author copies of those and sign sign them too and stuff. Um, but then, yeah, uh, my next book is going to be on the trivium process for the kids. 
Um, and then I have, uh, you know, <laughs> a long line. I'm probably going to do another book that just totally focuses on self-defense and like, you know, how like you can, if you, if you go too far with the self-defense, you can actually be turning into aggression rather than just defending yourself. So you got to be careful there. And so kind of explain that a little bit to kids and stuff that'll, you know, because I think that's important, you know, because a right is actually, you do have the right to defend yourself, you know, at the, which is in this book, there's a, uh, you know, a situation where one of the characters is poking the other character in the eye and in the other page, he's actually defending, defending himself as a right. And so um, and it says, you know, using the required amount of, you know, of might to defend himself. So <laughs> that's, that's important to understand that you can't just, you know, hospitalize someone just because they called you a bad name. <laughs> no. Well, maybe you shouldn't. You, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you need to defend your, uh, but uh, we, you know, we, we could, we could go back and forth about that, but. For sure, I I I would agree with you that um that most of the time that that your level of defensive use of force should should probably match the amount of uh, aggressive force being done to you, you know. However, and this is where like I kind of think that you should probably be more mature to make this type of decision to be able to see when. Hey, this is going to get yeah. really bad really quickly, and I need to do something very, you know, kind of. I need to match that tenfold in order to put a stop to this before it gets even worse. You know, um, mm -hmm. there's definitely situations out there where if you don't put a quick stop to it uh, by, you know, maybe using an excessive amount of defensive use of force, then <laughs> before in the blink of an eye, it could get very bad for you. Um, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, there's some, it, there's a lot of nuance there and stuff oh, like yeah. that. And definitely, but for like a little kid, it might just be as simple as like doing something like if you're if a, like, someone's trying to kidnap you and you're a child just screaming, like, you're not my mommy. You're not my no mommy. You're not my mommy. You're, you know, repeatedly and waving your hand in the air might be enough just to get someone else's attention or, or be enough to where the the person trying to take the child might be like, oh my God, someone might see this and like just let go of them and just like run off, you know what I mean, kind of thing. Just simple stuff like that that you know kids can use to you know help their situation if they're if they're faced with something bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's um there, there's not too many children's authors in this field at the moment. Uh, I uh, Indica Martin comes to mind. I'm, I'm sure that you, that you're aware of her, uh -huh. uh, her and her, her book. Uh, and then I'm blanking on the author's name, which I'm ashamed of myself because I actually own a copy of the book, but it's, uh, called three friends free. And you can actually get that at, uh, from Howard Lickman, uh, and, uh, and, uh, through the art of Liberty foundation and, that comes with at the end de la Buisi squares, uh, squares book, uh, 
the the government scam book. So actually, you can get it at government-scam.com, which I recommend people do. Uh, but when we're not here to talk about him. Stephanie is back in the chat. She says, do one about uh, NVC, which does not mean nonverbal communication. It means nonviolent communication. Mm-hmm. I found, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, that would be a good, that would be a good book to have uh, one on nonviolent communication for sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so why, uh, why, why you, why children's novels or books? I keep calling them, I'm sorry, I keep calling them novels, but novel why books. children's books? You know? Well, I just think uh, I wanted to start with something simple, you know? And um, I like animation a lot, but a book is a future storyboard for future animation, potentially. And so, but you can do books a little quicker. You can, um, I mean, depending on, I mean, you can do animation quick too, it's just it's a lot more rudimentary and floppier and stuff, but, you know, the, and I think just my style lends itself to, uh, I'm good at making cute, likable cartoon characters, I guess. So that helps. I mean, I can do illustration that's more, you know, edgy or, you know, whatever you want it. I can do a lot of different styles, but I just, I have fun with the, simple cartoony stuff well it's it's really good man you know i i like the i like the style and the other thing is adults often read children's books to children so i see it as i might actually be teaching the adults something also Uh, because unfortunately, a lot of the people that look like adults, they certainly don't have the mentality of one. <laughs> so they might need a book meant for a six-year-old. To well, yeah, uh, it's like I when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it's gonna feel so much different when I'm an adult. No, I feel like I had the same I did when I was a kid. I'm older and I know more now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that look like adults with their heads far up their butts, you know. So having it <laughs> i think one of the problems with the world is like we're not really adults mm. a lot of a lot of adults they're not adults they're they're still children that's why they're running around butting each other's heads because they, they haven't matured past that clicky high school phase you know they're still mm. in it it's just in different they're just expressing it in a different way through politics or whatever that might be, you know. Did you ever watch the U.S. version of The Office? Yes, yes. Uh, maybe you can recall that there is an episode where they have a, a surplus in the budget and the accountant is, like, explaining it to the boss and, the, and the bo- like, Steve Carell's character. Uh, and he's, like, having trouble understanding what a surplus is so he just basically just goes explain it to me like i'm five (laughs) that's kind of like what i what i was picturing when i'm talking about a lot of the childish adults that we run into on a daily basis because uh that's pretty much how they are you try to explain things down for people to like the simplest essence of things and then start there (laughs) yeah i mean the a lot of the problem is is that and maybe this is just my opinion, but it certainly seems to hold some water 
is that uh, they're just not willing to even welcome the possibility that they that they that they've been misled their entire life or that they've been subject to this perpetuation of childhood that the um, that the uh, public school systems kind of entrain them to you know to go to go and be like you know they they don't understand that that's kind of the goal <laughs> it's to make it so yeah that, some people you know. are more calcified into the status quo than others that's for sure yeah yeah that's the biggest thing is like breaking that uh kind of breaking that mentality and like trying to get through to someone anyone you know to just like help them because that's what it's all about i mean they just need to realize the truth you know you can't really you can you you can't really tell like you can't really tell them the truth you know they kind of just they 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 have to they have to come to it themselves you know and i mean you can say all the words you can tell them all the things and everything but you can't make them believe it they just have they have to get there themselves and that's like one of the biggest hurdles to to get over it's usually I think sometimes it's because some of this stuff is pretty complicated for the average person to understand, even though it's like pretty simple, it's still very complicated because it kind of shatters their worldview. It, it challenges everything that they've come to hold uh, and everything that they know as the status quo of their life. And it, it kind of just throws all that away. And that can be very disturbing for somebody's peace of mind. And a yeah. lot of people aren't, aren't willing to kind of dissolve the ego, to let that kind of stuff in to help them. Um, well, they don't want to do the shadow work that's involved when you take those kind of deep dives either. You know, some of that stuff is kind of looking at yourself in that way or through a new perspective. Now that you know a different thing, you sometimes you're like, well, I did some bad stuff maybe, you know? And so you got to, that stuff's going to come up, you know, because part of that is what the foundational stuff of what has calcified you into these different beliefs or traps, I would call them belief traps, you know, and sort of having an open mind and letting the information in and then deciding whether that information is something that you want to keep or not, you know. But with some of these people that are really calcified like that, the best thing I've noticed is like, you can't, you can't tell it to them. You have to take them through it through questions. And it's basically the Socratic method. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's basically just a method of questioning and two things usually happen. Uh, when you start taking someone through that, they either get mad at you and don't want, want to continue the conversation or they start. I, I've gotten pretty good about stopping before that happens. So I plant enough seeds with a few questions to get them thinking and then I let it go. And then they, you know, if it's a friend or something that I know I'm going to see again, then maybe the next time I see him, I can plant some more seeds, you know. And because they, they might even bring it up, you know, I've had people even bring it up with me like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about what you said and da, 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 and, you know, the questions you ask. And I, you know, and sometimes they want to know more and you can point them in, you know, directions uh, where they can get more research or even just 
straight up tell them what you've researched and what you've came to understand yourself. You know? Right. I mean, uh, for people that don't that don't know, the Socratic method is basically just you're you're leading someone to logical conclusions, not by telling them, but by asking certain questions that are going to that are going to trigger a uh, a thought response within that person that you're asking the questions, and they'll get there themselves through answering the question, and they'll and they're that's just gonna you know. It's going to lead them to the, it's like a, <laughs> what's the saying? You can lead a man to, you, you can lead a man to knowledge, but you can't make him think, you know, right, right. but, but it's, <clears throat> it's kind of like the opposite of that, where like you are making them think because you're asking them a certain series of questions that aren't, um, that are not like predetermined questions. It's not like a set set of questions that everyone you know gets asked. It's just, uh, you know, but kind of wanted to make sure that uh we spelled that out for the audience because on this show sometimes we don't uh, i i don't know uh i don't really know my audience that well to be honest <laughs> i don't know where their heads are at <laughs> yeah so uh but that's a good way to kind of introduce things to people and and it's exactly that instead of telling them something people don't want to be told what to do or told stuff they want to come to that decision on their own and so if if you can question, you know, use questions in a way that causes them to think about things in a different manner, then they can start. It can start breaking down some of the walls they might put up otherwise. Yeah, for sure. And it's a big thing is that people's egos, they, like again, they like it gets in the way. And people build the. It's like Pink Floyd's the wall. You know, yeah. it's. Uh, in one in one sense, I mean, not exactly like that, but uh, everyone has these walls that they build in their own in their in their own minds, and they you know keep things out or keep things in, you know, depending on your perspective of it. But it's now, really. Would you like me to share some of these paintings that I did uh, for the Truth Show in Pueblo? The last. Uh or that there was last month. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, Stephanie's Stephanie's really helping out tonight. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the name, so I'm going to try my best and I'm probably going to butcher it, but Anum uh, Pacienta uh, wrote Three Friends Free and she also has that book. She got it off of governmentscam.com. Government-scam.com. Government, uh, so, but yes, share away because I think that your artwork is really, really special, and I want the audience to see it as well. Okay, let me see here. I'll right button here. Here's that go. But in the meantime, people check out the show notes, and you'll find artswill.com in the show notes. And from there, you can find uh, is, is it woodrowmartin.com or .org? Dot com. Dot com. So Woodrow Martin, is there a hyphen in there? I thought I saw a hyphen. Uh, WoodrowMartin.com, that has like some stuff, just, just like a bunch of random stuff that I've done. Um, there's I have three websites, really, the Arts Will and the Soap and Ollie. And it's S-O-P-H and A-N-D-O-L-L-Y, no hyphens in anything. Yep. 
that's in the show notes as well. Um, I want to ask you, uh, why, why did you pick the names Soph and Ollie? That's the abbreviations of my kids' names. Oh, cool. Cool. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I poked the wrong button here. Let's see here. There's a little button below the screen. I think it's up. Uh, There it goes. It was trying to like get me to record or something. I must have hit something. (laughs) Unable to share the screen. What? Let's see if I can if I can change that setting. Yeah, I don't know. If I can't share it, that's all right, too. <laughs> well, we got to get your artwork on the show somehow. So. Share screen. Is there, is there a website where we can get that from? Well, there's a video. I don't have the art actually posted on the website right now, but there's a video that I talk about it. But let's see here. Let's just try is, this again. Oh. Is that art's will? I think it's something with the Brave browsers like blocking it for some reason. It's telling me to go to my settings, and it's probably going to want me to relaunch the browser, which might not do well for our chat here. <laughs> no worries. Doing it live, folks. Yeah. Doing it, doing it live. Because it took me to some settings, and I turned the toggle, so I don't know if that if I have to sign out and sign back in or what that. All right, we'll just take a break and we'll just we'll watch this video. Yeah, this this will talk about it show the paintings. Dogs had something that got me to have something to do. So, uh, uh, 
trying to get across with these three uh, paintings all together. It's kind of like moving from the mark of the beast through understanding, you know, that you can, you do have a choice, you can say no to things all the way up to what I believe to be enlightenment, which is really just self-governance, so that we don't have to have external governance. You know, you know the, the government, Facto, mommy and daddy. If you, if you recognize these principles and you're self-governed, you're not going to be aggressive towards other people unless you're actually just defending yourself. 
Um, you know, we can have peace and love on this planet. You know, love is way better than fear, in my opinion. So I understand you also have a book here. This, if you're not real keen on the right versus wrong thing, I have this cool... You want me to pull it? Yeah, you can stop it here. You already kind of talked about this. No problem. Well, dude, that was that's that's really really cool. You know, and it brings to mind something that uh, a while back, <clears throat> uh, Brandon Martin, no relation, uh, but <laughs> he um, he he brought up the idea of, uh, well, I guess the way that he put it was that he didn't. Uh, he didn't think that the term non-aggression was was good enough. So he he said he said that perhaps we should start calling it the non-violence principle. The principle of non-violence sounds a lot more definitive than than non-aggression because even like you're pointing out, uh, a defensive action is certainly uh, could be aggression uh, aggression aggressive. Excuse me. So I guess there's some sort of um, definitions that we there there are definitely some definitions that that need to be played with there or uh, maybe terms that need to be played with the definitions are are solid but terms need to be played with I guess what do you think about that Yeah no I could I definitely concede the uh, that there could be some confusion there for sure but to me violence aggression they're pretty similar so. Um, to me, violence is, you know, you're violating someone, obviously, by using violence on them, where aggression's kind of like, instead of, you're, you're offensively aggressing towards someone to, you know, maybe sway their will into doing something or not doing something, you know, um, versus being more passive and just if if something comes to bite you, you kind of block it and then maybe strike, you know, kind of thing. Um, and that's why I, you know, I said the last word of self-defense is the gun because hmm. there's, there's plenty of other nonviolent things you can do before it comes to that. You know, like the uh, just calming people down in a non-con, you know, non-violent way. You know, there's there's ways we can handle things without having to beat beat the pulp out of each other. Oh, for sure, uh, oh, definitely for sure. I mean, that's why it's so important to um, exercise speech. It's like what you're saying, like having having a way to kind of uh, de-escalate situations and being able actually having the ability to do that is an extremely important ability to kind of master. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah, because that's that's a way to uh, not only like stop violence from happening, but it's like having, you know, having the ability to speak and clearly communicate. Calm, calmer right. and they don't get into that fight or flight brain right. space where you're not really rationally thinking anymore you're just kind of 
in defense mode and bad things can happen, you know, there. But if you can calm things down, talk through some stuff, you know, maybe, maybe even you have to say, hey, look, we're butting heads here. Let's take 10 minutes. Let's go over here. Now let's come back and discuss it, you know. Mm, right. You know, sometimes that might, sometimes you have to take a little break, you know. So you can get out of that. Oh, maybe I'm slipping into fight or flight. Let's let's hey, let's stop this. We're not getting anywhere. We're just gonna keep smashing, you know. So let's, let's take a step back and let's process some stuff for a few minutes, and then we'll come back when we're in a state where we can think rationally and let us talk through this thing, you know. Let's talk yeah. about our feelings. <laughs> cheesy as that sounds right <laughs> i mean sure i mean it's that's like how you that's how you put a stop to emotional mind control is being able is is being able to express yourself right and a in kind of a clear way you know instead of having the fog the haze of of emotion kind of take over then it, it's it's much better to be aware of them and if you're you know becoming angry and uh, having that type of having that type of reaction to a situation that's what you mentioned shadow work earlier that's a big part of shadow work is understanding what makes the beat the inner the beast within tick what's gonna what's going to make that beast grit its teeth you know it's it's and saying hey no 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 I'm the one in control here my consciousness is the one that is is what's in control I'm aware of this and uh we're gonna we're, we're gonna kind of intervene you know, we're going to, we're going to intervene, we're going to intervene from within before we start pouncing on other people, you know, you know, so yeah. That's, well, that's you can control your pounce a little bit more if you do some of that shadow work too, because you're going to understand the beast better and you're exactly. going to be able to control that a little bit more when mm -hmm. stuff starts getting emotional and heated, you know. Whereas if you don't, if you haven't done some of this shadow work, you're just going to fly off the handle and you might do stuff that you wouldn't normally do, you know, because you're not in the right, you know, you're in that fight or, fight or flight mindset. Oh man, my, me personally, like I, I can take a lot. I, I get pushed to the edge and I can stand there for a little while. I mean, for a lot longer than most. You know, I'm only human though. There, there comes a time where I get pushed right over the edge and it's like, dude, I've said it a thousand times and you're still not listening. So yeah, I'm going to start raising my voice. Yeah, I'm angry because it's clear to me that you're just being disrespectful. It's disrespectful to not, to not listen, you know, and that's when it, that's when it becomes a problem because we like you can speak to somebody clearly and calmly and everything but uh, they just not yeah, it's like you're it. at the you're at like a service appointment for your car and they're like straight up telling you a lie and you're like no <laughs> <laughs> no yeah that's that's not what's going on here people <laughs> yeah and you got to keep that calm but some people might blow up you know Right. I mean, you don't just do it. At the, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm standing right there with you. Don't do it at, at the drop of a hat. You know, yeah. but, uh, but for instance, like people that you're close with, right? So, uh, would you say that it, it, would you say that it's like, man, how much can you really take? So, uh, let's say I have a family member who I just 
keep telling like look <laughs> like i don't want to talk about that or you know look like i don't i i've heard it before i don't need to keep hearing it and they just don't get it it's like they're just not listening like how often do you need to hear the same stories over and over again and you're like i get it i get it i get it before you're just like hey shut up <laughs> you're not listening I told you, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Uh, I guess it's like uh, how much can one person really take of somebody just being blatantly either ignorant of what you just not listening. And at what point does that lack of uh, listening become disrespectful? You know, when, when an emotionally charged reaction is kind of warranted, Instead of it being something that you just fly off the handle, it's like, look, I've tried yeah. to tell you, I've tried to tell you calmly and that's not getting through to you. So I guess I have to raise my voice because I don't know how else to get this through to you, you know, that type of thing. I struggle with that a little bit. You know? I think we all do. I do too. I can, you know, I have, I've been working on anger management problems my whole life, you know, to this day, I still fly off the handle on accident sometimes, you know, it just happens sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No use in beating yourself up over it though. No. Cause it's not, you look at that, I, you look at the situation, you analyze it, you do this shadow work there and then you, you come out of it a better person. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Because you know, beating yourself up over, it, it's not going to change. It's not going to help. But, um, but anyways, uh, we've been at it for just over an hour now. We're, we're approaching an hour and a half. Um, would you like to keep, keep chatting or? I don't know. I mean, do you have any other questions for me that you haven't asked? It looks like my family may have just got home. So we might be having a little bit of commotion behind us here in a minute here with them coming through. Um, but, um, well, uh, is there any, is there any big plans in the future? Like what would be the next, what would be the next, uh, specifically what's the next, uh, children's book that you're going to write? The next one is going to be on the trivium process. I haven't That's decided right. exactly how I'm going to do it yet. A um, couple ideas is one, I'm, I'm just going to show different versions of the trivium, like simply almost like an opposite book, but just like one, two, three, you know, input process and output, you know, and do a couple of anecdotes with that. Or the other idea would be to ha make more of like a storyline and show the characters actually having a problem and then you know going to the the dad or mom character and saying hey look we have this problem and then the dad or mom character kind of walk them through hey look this is this is a process you can use to solve any problem find you know find out you know the truth in a situation something along those lines very and nice. then I also yeah. have uh, animation that's going to be coming out within the next couple months. It's going to be dealing with uh, lying, and it's just going to be kind of a parody, kind of funny-ish, kind of just exposing, you know, people's, you know, that lie in a in kind of a silly, fun way. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. So. I look forward to I look forward to hearing about that in the future, man. Um, are you going to be kind of centralizing all of your work onto one website, or are you going to? That's all mostly going to go to the Arts Well website. 
Um, except for the children's books are going to be mostly on the sofa and they'll, they'll all be on the sofa and Ollie. It's all going to be sofa and Ollie. They're going to, it's going to be a series of a bunch of different things that sofa and Ollie get up to and their family and friends. Yeah, that was another question. That was a question that just came to mind too. So thank you for clarifying that as well. I was going to ask you about if you're sticking with the characters or are you like, is there going to be like a, like a, you know, sofa and Ollie verse. <laughs> so yeah, 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 nice. kind of, yeah. This is going to be like kind of a world of sofa and Ollie. Eventually maybe the website will be kind of like entering into that world and there'll be fun games and stuff. I, Pretty soon, there's going to be some free coloring sheets on there for people that they can print at home um, kind of thing. So I'm working on those right now, and I'll put those up just, you know, if someone's not ready to buy the book yet, they can kind of check that out. And, um, you know, I, I plan on building more interactive kind of stuff in there, too, as far as making the website something that people can interact with. Um after you know maybe they start liking the stories you know once a couple more books and stuff come out they're like oh we like these stories let's go to the website and then there'll be some interactive stuff there for them eventually you know <laughs> in a perfect world you know i, I dream big so <laughs> dude you know what i, I just we make of? it there <laughs> i want to i want to plant before you go i want to plant this seed you know what would be wicked cool is if you oh man i'm sorry but i want to share this if yeah. you did if you if you did a book of Soph and Dolly learning about cause and effect, but it's a choose your own adventure book of Ooh, Soph yeah. and Dolly choose your own adventure. I've, and I've thought about choose your own adventure books for sure. Yeah. Oh, I like yeah. that. That's what I've been thought about that for like a book on morality, you know, choose your own adventure, <laughs> right and wrong. Like, how dark does it go if you keep choosing the wrongs, you know? Right. <laughs> Right. Well, right. <laughs> what kind of, what, what kind of you, utopia do you end up if you choose rights all the time? And what kind of, how dark does it get if you choose wrongs all the time? You know, I thought, <laughs> I thought about that. Well, you That's can get really into cool. it. You, you could end up in uh, somebody else's utopia if you start choosing wrong all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, yeah. but um, man, I'm glad that you kind of, uh, uh, it sounds like you have a good head on your shoulders with, with this. That's awesome. Uh, it's like, it's, it's very inspiring that, you know, someone like you, uh, well, I'm, I'm saying that, and I'm saying that completely wrong, but it's very inspiring that there's like this whole entire other kind of, uh, medium that is being tended to by people like, like you and Indica Martin and the author of three friends free, um, as a father, uh, somebody who takes being a father very seriously, and wants to pass this torch of knowledge down to my children, um, a personal thank you from me right to you for doing what you do in the, in the fashion, the manner in which you do it, because um, very few and far between. So seriously, yeah. seriously. A lot everybody. of artists are getting a lot of flack in the freedom community. As it's not even just about not artists and the freedom community. I'm saying that specifically one of the routes yeah. that you're choosing to take, I really, really appreciate it because yeah. uh, it's like you, you had kids. It was a big part of your waking up process. And I, I share that. Uh, I share that with you. 
it's well, the same same thing with me. I've I've gone over it a million and one times. So a million and two. I'll do it until I'm blue in the face. Like yeah, be- becoming a father definitely changed everything in my life and my and my perspective, like my perception of this place and and everything. And so you know, um, yeah. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to reach you know different people. So yeah, it's it's good to take different out of the box approaches and go different directions and. Hey, you know, the powers that be are, are at B, they're using art big time in the opposite way I'm trying to use art. So <laughs> with the subtle symbolism and stuff and like, yeah, it's, yeah. So if they're going to use it to, to enslave people, I'm going to use it to free people. <laughs> That's the only way it's going to get done, man. That's the only way it's going to get done. Well, thank you for your time tonight. And um, we'll have to do this again sometime. Sure. I, I hope in the future you're always you're always welcome. You know, and uh, you you can you can stick around if you like. You can throw the show on in the background if you like. Just you know, because I'm going to continue going here with some more information. And um, yeah, of course, and and uh, you know, um, so one last time, let everybody know uh, the, the links are in the show notes. But let's hear it from you, Woody. Where where can people find your work? Yeah, the big ones is just the uh, artswill.com. And if, you, if you're looking for children's content, go to the sofanolly.com. The spelling of all that is in his uh, the uh, description or whatever. So, And then I also want to thank you for having me on. I'm super grateful for the opportunity to um, have this conversation with you. And yeah. Well, I, I, I can't thank you enough for joining me. So, um, we'll, we'll meet again soon. Sounds good. All right, brother. You have yourself a wonderful evening. Yeah, you too. Talk to you soon. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Woodrow Martin, ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Woodrow Martin. Um, it's very important that we take, you know, consideration into going and, uh, supporting independent content creators such as himself, because that's, uh, that's the only way that, um, well, that's the only way word of this is going to get out. You know, I mean, he's doing something that's unique. It's a unique expression of this, uh, of this information of this work. And I think that, uh, that we should all show some appreciation and go check it out and, uh, show some support, get his book, and like I said earlier, like maybe you don't have kids, get it for a niece or a nephew or uh, a friend's kids or your, your grandchildren or whatever. And, um, and you know, cause it's, it's quality stuff. It's, it's, it's real fun. You know, I don't own the book myself just, just yet, but if just from looking at it and hearing him speak about it, he's very passionate about it. And, uh, that type of passion it deserves, um, it deserves attention. So get over there and, and uh, see for yourself. And with that being said, we'll move on to the uh, the deep dive section uh, segment of the show. That, and with that, so I mentioned at the beginning that a few weeks back, right? A few weeks back, we, uh, Stephanie was here and we, uh, we got into a, zoom in a little bit on that we got into um 
the idea of, uh, I mentioned provisional self-esteem. And she had mentioned uh, that being a part of something with John Taylor Gatto. We couldn't complete, we we really couldn't complete the line of thought. And it, it was something that kind of was getting at me a little bit. So I, I went and I was like, where, like, cause I knew I heard it before and she obviously had heard it before. So I really wanted to make sure that I cleared that up. And, um, after a little bit of, uh, after a little bit of, uh, reading and, and researching, I found it. So I'm going to read this and we're going to get a better look at, uh, the seven lesson school teacher. So this is chapter one of the book. Let me put that back on the screen. Uh, This is chapter one of Dumbing Us Down, The Hidden Curriculum of Compulsory Schooling by John Taylor Gatto. So in chapter one, the seven lesson school teacher. So this speech was given on the occasion of the author being named New York State Teacher of the Year for 1991. And I'll read his speech in its entirety. Call me Mr. Gatto, please. 30 years ago, having nothing better to do with myself at the time, I tried my hand at school teaching. The license I have certifies that I am an instructor of English language and English literature, but that isn't what I do at all. I don't teach English. I teach school, and I win awards doing it. Teaching means different things in different places but seven lessons are universally taught from Harlem to Hollywood Hills. They constitute a national curriculum you pay for in more ways than you can imagine, so you might as well know what it is. You are at liberty, of course, to regard these lessons any way you like, but believe me when I say I intend no irony in this presentation. These are the things I teach. These are the things you pay me to teach. Make of them what you will. Number one, confusion. A lady named Kathy wrote this to me from Dubois, Indiana, the other day. Kathy wrote, What big ideas are important to little kids? Well, the biggest idea I think they need is that that what they are learning is idiosyncratic. That there is some system to it all. And it's not just raining down on them as they helplessly absorb. That's the task, to understand, to make coherent. Kathy has it wrong. The first lesson I teach is confusion. Everything I teach is out of context. I teach the unrelating of everything. I teach disconnections. I teach too much. The orbiting of planets, the law of large numbers... Slavery, adjectives, architectural drawing, dance, gymnasium, choral singing, assemblies, surprise guests, fire drills, computer languages, parents' nights, staff development days, pull-out programs, guidance with strangers my students may never see again, standardized tests, age segregation unlike anything seen in the outside world. What do any of these things have to do with each other? Even in the best schools, a close examination of curriculum and its sequences turn up a lack of coherence, a host of internal contradictions. 
Fortunately, the children have no words to define the panic and anger they feel at constant violations of natural order and sequence fobbed off on them as quality and education. The logic of the school mind is that it is better to leave school with a toolkit of superficial jargon derived from economics, sociology, natural science, and so on, than with one genuine enthusiasm. But quality in education entails learning about something in depth. Confusion is thrust upon kids by too many strange adults, each working alone with only the thinnest relationship with each other, pretending, for the most part, to an expertise they do not possess. Meaning, not disconnected facts, is what sane human beings seek. An education is a set of codes for processing raw data into meaning. Behind the patchwork quilt of school sequences and the school obsession with facts and theories, the age-old human search for meaning lies well concealed. This is harder to see in elementary school where the hierarchy of school experience seems to make better sense because the good-natured, simple relationship between, quote, let's do this, unquote, and, quote, let's do that, unquote, is just assumed to mean something the clientele has not yet consciously discerned how little substance is behind the play and pretense. Think of the great natural sequences, like learning to walk and learning to talk, the progression of light from sunrise to sunset, the ancient procedures of a farmer, a smithy, a, or a shoemaker, or the preparation of a Thanksgiving feast. All of the parts are in perfect harmony with each other each action justifying itself and illuminating the past and the future. School sequences aren't like that. Not inside a single class and not among the total menu of daily classes. School sequences are crazy. There is no particular reason for any of them. Nothing that bears close scrutiny. Teachers would dare to teach tools whereby dogmas of a school or a teacher could be criticized, since everything must be accepted. School subjects are learned, and if they can be learned, like children learn the catechism or memorize the 39 articles of Anglicanism, Anglicanism, excuse me, I teach the unrelating of everything, an infinite fragmentation, the opposite of cohesion. What I do is more related to television programming than to make, uh, making a scheme or, of order. In a world where home is only a ghost because both parents work or because of too many moves or too many job changes or too much ambition or because something else has left everybody too confused to maintain a family relation, I teach students how to accept confusion as their destiny. That's the first lesson I teach. Number two, class position. The second lesson I teach is class position. I teach that students must stay in the class where they belong. I don't know who decides my kids belong there, but that's not my business. The, the children are numbered so that if any get away, they can be returned to the right class. Over the years, the variety of ways children are numbered by schools has increased dramatically until it is hard to see the human beings plainly under the weight of the numbers they carry. Numbering children is a big and very profitable undertaking. 
though what the strategy is designed to accomplish is elusive. I don't even know why parents would, without a fight, allow it to be done to their kids. In any case, that's not my business. My job is to make them like being locked together with children who bear numbers like their own, or at least to endure it like good sports. If I do my job well, the kids can't even imagine themselves somewhere else because I've shown them how to envy and fear the best classes and how to have contempt for the dumb classes. Under this efficient discipline, the class mostly polices itself into good marching order. That's the real lesson of any rigged competition like school. You come to know your place. In spite of the overall class blueprint that assumes that 99% of the kids are in their class to stay, I nevertheless make a public effort to exhort children to higher levels of test success, hinting at eventual transfer from the lower class as a reward. I frequently insinuate the day will come when an employer will hire them on the basis of test scores and grades, even though my own experience is that employers are right, rightly indifferent to such things. I never lie outright, but I've come to see that truth in school teaching at bottom incompatible, just as Socrates said thousands of years ago. The lesson of numbered classes is that everyone has a proper place in the pyramid and that there is no way out of your class except by number magic. Failing that, you must stay where you are put. Number three, indifference. The, The third lesson I teach is indifference. I teach children not to care too much about anything, even though they want to make it appear that they do. How I do this is very subtle. I do it by demanding that they become totally involved in my lessons, jumping up and down in their seats with anticipation, competing vigorously with each other for my favor. It's heartwarming when they do that. It impresses everyone, even me. When I'm at my best, I plan lessons very carefully in order to produce this show of enthusiasm. But when the bell rings, I insist they drop whatever it is we have been doing and proceed quickly to the next workstation. They must turn on and off like a light switch. Nothing important is ever finished in my class, nor in any class I know of. Students never have a complete experience except on the installment plan. Indeed, the lessons of bells is that no work is worth finishing. So why care too deeply about anything? Years of bells will condition all but the strongest to a world that can no longer offer important work to do. Bells are the secret logic of school time. Their logic is inexorable. Bells destroy the past and future, rendering any interval the same as any other. As the abstraction of a map renders every living mountain and river the same, even though they are not. Bells bells inoculate each undertaking with indifference. Number four, emotional dependency. The fourth lesson I teach is emotional dependency. By stars and red checks, smiles and frowns, prizes, honors, and disgraces, I teach kids to surrender their will to the predestinated chain of command. Rights may be granted or withheld by any authority without appeal because rights do not exist inside a school. 
not even the right of free speech, as the Supreme Court has ruled, unless school authorities say they do. As a school teacher, I intervene in many personal decisions, issuing a pass for those I deem legitimate and initiating a disciplinary confrontation for behavior that threatens my control. Individuality is constantly trying to assert itself among children and teenagers, so my judgments come thick and fast. Individuality is a contradiction of class theory, a curse to all systems of classification. Here are some common ways in which individuality shows up. Children sneak away for a private moment in the toilet on the the pretext of moving their bowels. Or they steal a private instant in the hallway on the grounds that they need water. I know they don't, but I allow them to, quote, deceive me because this condition the this conditions them to depend on my favors sometimes free will appears right in front of me in pockets of children angry depressed or happy about things outside my ken rights in such manners cannot be recognized by school teachers only privileges that can be drawn hostages to good behavior number 5 Intellectual dependency. The fifth lesson I teach is intellectual dependency. Good students wait for a teacher to tell them what to do. This is the most important lesson of them all. We must wait for other people better trained than than ourselves to make the meanings of our lives. The expert makes all the important choices. Only I, the teacher, can determine what my kids must study, or rather, only the people who pay me can make those decisions, which I then enforce. If I am told that evolution is a fact instead of a theory, I transmit that as ordered, punishing deviants who resist what I have been told to tell them to think. This power to control what children will think lets me separate successful students from failures very easily. Successful children do the thinking I assign with a minimum of resistance and a decent show of enthusiasm. The millions of things I of value to study, I decide what few we have time for. Actually, though, this is decided by my faceless employers. The choices are theirs. Why should I argue? Curiosity has no important place in my work, only conformity. Bad kids fight this, of course. Even though they lack the concepts to know what they are fighting, struggling to make decisions for themselves about what they will learn and when they will learn it. How can we allow and survive as school teachers? Sorry, how can we allow that and survive as school teachers? Fortunately, there are tested procedures to break the will of those who resist. It is more difficult, naturally, if the kid. Kids have respectable parents who come to their aid, but that happens less and less in spite of the bad reputation of schools. No middle-class parents I have ever met actually believe that their kids' schools is one of the bad ones. Not one single parent in, in the many years of teaching. That's amazing, and probably the best testimony to what happens to families when mother and father have been well-schooled themselves <laughs> learning the seven lessons. Good people wait for an expert to tell them what to do. It is hardly an exaggeration to say that our entire economy depends upon this lesson being learned. 
Think of what might fall apart if children weren't trained to be dependent. The social services could hardly survive. They would vanish, I think, into the recent historical limbo out of which they arose. Counselors and therapists would look on in horror as they the supply of, <laughs> of psychic invalids vanished. <laughs> Commercial entertainment of all sorts, including television, would wither as people learned again how to make their own fun. Restaurants, the prepared food industry, and a whole host of other assorted food services would be drastically downsized if people returned to making their own meals rather than depending on strangers to plant, pick, chop, and cook for them. Much of modern law, medicine, and engineering would go too, as well as the clothing business and school teaching, unless a guaranteed supply of helpless people continued to pour out of our schools each year. Don't be too quick to vote for radical school reform if you want to continue getting a paycheck. We've built a way of life that depends on people doing what they are told because they don't know how to tell themselves what to do. It's one of the biggest lessons I teach. Number six, provisional self-esteem. This is the sixth lesson. If you've ever tried to wrestle into line kids whose parents have convinced them to believe they'll be loved in spite of anything, you know how impossible it is to make self-confident spirits conform. Our world wouldn't survive a flood of confident people very long, so I teach that a kid's self-respect should depend on expert opinion. My kids aren't constantly evaluated and judged. My kids are, sorry, I said aren't. My kids are constantly evaluated and judged. A monthly report, impressive in its own, in its provision, is sent into a student's home to elicit approval or mark exactly down to a single percentage point how dissatisfied with a child a parent should be. The ecology of, quote, good, unquote, Schooling depends on perpetuating dissatisfaction, just as the commercial economy depends on the same fertilizer. Although some people might be surprised how little time or reflection goes into making up these mathematical records, the cumulative weight of these objective-seeming documents establishes a profile that compels children to arrive at certain decisions about themselves and their futures based on the casual judgment of strangers. Self-evaluation, the staple of every major philosophical system that ever appeared on the planet, is never considered a factor. The lesson of report cards, grades, and tests is that children should not trust themselves or their parents, but should instead rely on the evaluation of certified officials. People need to be told what they are worth. And number seven. The seventh lesson I teach is that one can't hide. I teach students that they are always watched, that each is under constant surveillance by me and my colleagues. There are no private spaces for children. There is no private time. Class change lasts, lasts exactly 300 seconds to keep promiscuous fraternization at low levels. Students are encouraged to tattle on each other or even to tattle on their own parents. 
Of course, I encourage parents to file reports about their own children's waywardness, too. A family trained to snitch on itself is likely to conceal, isn't likely to conceal any dangerous secrets. I assign a type of extended schooling called homework so that the effect of surveillance, if not the surveillance itself, travels into private households where students might otherwise use free time to learn something unauthorized from a father or mother by exploration or by apprenticing to some wise person in the neighborhood. Disloyalty to the idea of schooling is a devil always ready to find work for idle hands. The meaning of constant surveillance and denial of privacy is that no one can be trusted. That privacy is not legitimate. Surveillance is an ancient imperative espoused by certain influential thinkers, a central prescription set down in the Republic, the City of God, the Institutes of Christian Religion, New Atlantis, Leviathan, and a host of other places. All of the childless men who wrote those books discovered the same thing. Children must be closely watched if you want to keep a society under tight central control. Children will follow a private drummer if you can't get them into a uniformed marching band. <sighs> to continue... It is the great triumph of compulsory government monopoly mass schooling that among even the best of my fellow teachers and among even the best of my students' parents, only a small number can imagine a different way to do things. Quote, the kids have to know how to read and write, don't they? Unquote. Quote, they have to know how to add and subtract, don't they? They have to learn to follow orders if they ever expect to keep a job. Only a few lifetimes ago, things weren't very different. Things were very different in the United States. Originality and variety were common currency. Our freedom from regimentation made us the miracle of the world. Social class boundaries were relatively easy to cross. Our citizenry was marvelously confident, inventive, and able to do much for themselves independently and to think for themselves. We were something special, we Americans, by all by ourselves, without government sticking its nose into and measuring uh, every aspect of our lives, without institutions and social agencies telling us how to think and feel. We were something special as individuals, as Americans. But we've had a society essentially under central control in the United States since just after the Civil War. And such a society requires compulsory schooling, government monopoly schooling, to maintain itself. Before this development, schooling wasn't very important anywhere. We had it, but not too much of it, and only as much as an individual wanted. People learned to read, write, and do arithmetic just fine anyway. There are some studies that suggest literacy at the time of the American Revolution, at least for non-slaves on the eastern seaboard, was close to total. Thomas Paine's Common Sense sold 600,000 copies to a population of 3 million people of whom 20% were slaves and 50% indentured servants. Were the colonists geniuses? No, the truth is that reading, writing, and arithmetic only take about 100 hours to transmit as long as the audience is eager and willing to learn. The trick is to wait until someone asks and then move fast while the mood is on. Millions of people teach themselves these things. It isn't very hard. 
pick up a fifth grade math or rhetoric textbook from 1850, and you'll see that the texts were pitched then on what would today be considered college level. The continuing cry for, quote, basic skills practice is a smokescreen behind which school preempt the time of children for 12 years and teach them the seven lessons I've just described to you. The society that has come increasingly under central control since just before the Civil War shows itself in the lives we lead, the clothes we wear, the food we eat, and the green highway signs we drive by from coast to coast, all of which are products of this control. So too, I think, are the epidemics of drugs, suicide, divorce, violence, and cruelty, as well as the hardening of class into caste in the United States products of the dehumanization of our lives, of the lessening of individual, family, and community importance, a diminishment that proceeds from central control. Inevitably, large compulsory institutions want more and more until there isn't any more to give. School takes our children away from any possibility of an active role in community life. In fact, it destroys communities by regulating I'm sorry, by relegating the training of children to the hands of certified experts. And by doing so, it ensures our children cannot grow up fully human. Aristotle taught that without a fully active role in community life, one could not hope to become a healthy human being. Surely he was right. Look around you the next time you are near a school or an old people's reservation, if you wished a demonstration. School, as it was built, is an essential support system for a model of social engineering that condemns most people to be subordinate stones in a pyramid that narrows as it ascends to a terminal of control. School is an artifice that makes a, such a pyramidical social order seem inevitable, even though such a premise of a fundamental betrayal of the American Revolution. From colonial days through the period of the Republic, we had no schools to speak of. Read Benjamin Franklin's autobiography for an example of a man who had no time to waste in school, and yet the promise of democracy was beginning to be realized. We turned our backs on this promise by bringing life to the ancient pharaonic. Did I say that right? Pharaonic? Pharaonic dream of Egypt. Compulsory subordination for all. That was the secret Plato reluctantly transmitted in the Republic. When Glaucon and Adimantus extorted from, the Socrates, uh, from Socrates the plan for total state control of human life, a plan necessary to maintain a society where some people take more than their share. Quote, I will show you, says Socrates, how to bring about such a feverish city, but you will not like what I am going to say, unquote. And so the blueprint of the seven lesson school was first sketched. The current debate about whether we should have a national curriculum is phony. We already have a national curriculum locked up in the seven lessons I just outlined. Such a curriculum produces physical, moral, and intellectual paralysis. And no curriculum of, con uh, of content uh, will be sufficient to reverse its hideous effects. What is currently under discussion in our national hysteria about failing uh, academic performances misses the point. Schools teach exactly what they're intended to teach, and they do it well. How to be good Egyptian and how to, how to be a good 
Egyptian and remain in your place in the pyramid. None of this is inevitable. None of it is impossible to overthrow. We do have choices in how we bring up young people. There is no one right way. If we broke through the power of the pyramidal illusion, we would see that. There is no life and death international uh, competition threatening our national existence. Difficult as that idea is even to think about, let alone believe, in the face of a continual media barrage of myth to the contrary. In every important material respect, our nation is sufficient, including in energy. I realize that idea runs counter to the most fashionable thinking of political uh, economists, but the profound transformation of our economy these people talk about is neither inevitable nor irreversible. Global economics does not speak to the public need for meaningful work, affordable housing, fulfilling education, adequate medical care, a clean environment, honest and accountable government, social and cultural renewal, or simple justice. All global ambitions are based on a definition of productivity and the good life so alienated from common human reality that I am convinced it is wrong and that most people would agree with me if they could perceive an alternative. We might be able to see that if we regained a hold on a philosophy that locates meaning where meaning is genuinely to be found, in families and friends, in the passage of seasons in nature, in simple ceremonies and rituals, in curiosity, generosity, compassion, and service to others, in a decent independence and privacy, and all the free and inexpensive things out of which real families, real friends, and real communities are built, then we would be so self-sufficient we would not even need the material, quote, sufficiency unquote, which our global, quote, experts are so insistent we be concerned about. How did these awful places, these schools, come about? Well, casual schooling has always been with us in a variety of forms, a mildly useful adjunct to growing up. But, quote, modern schooling, as we now, as we now know it, uh, is a byproduct of the two Quote, red scares of 1848 and 1919, when powerful interests feared a revolution among our own industrial poor. Partly, too, total schooling came about because old line American families were appalled by the native cultures of Celtic, Slavic, and Latin immigrants of the 1840s and felt repugnance toward the Catholic religion they brought with them. Certainly a third contributing factor in creating a jail for children called school must have been the concentration, uh, sorry, consternation with which these same Americans regarded the movement of African Americans through the society in the wake of the Civil War. Look again at the seven lessons of school teaching. Confusion, class position, indifference, emotional and intellectual dependency, conditional self-esteem, and surveillance. All of these lessons are prime training for permanent underclasses, people deprived forever of finding the center of their own special genius. And over time, this training has shaken loose from its original purpose, to regulate the poor. For since the 1920s, the growth of the school bureaucracy, as well as the less visible growth of a horde of industries that profit from school exactly as it is, 
has enlarged this, inst this institution's original grasp to the point that it now seizes the sons and daughters of the middle classes as well. Is it any wonder Socrates was outraged at the accusation that he took money to teach? Even then, philosophers saw clearly the inevitable direction of professional professionalization of teaching would take, that the preempting that of preempting the teaching function, which in a healthy community belongs to everyone. With lessons like the the ones I teach every, uh, day after day, it should be little wonder we have a real national crisis, the nature of which is very different from the proclaimed by the uh, from that proclaimed by the national media. Young people are indifferent to the adult world and to the future, indifferent to almost everything except the diversion of toys and violence. Rich or poor, school children who face the 21st century cannot concentrate on anything for very long. They have a very they have a have a poor sense of time past and time to come. They are mistrustful of intimacy like the children of the divorce they really are, for we have divorced them from significant parental attention. They hate solitude, are cruel, materialistic, dependent, passive violent, timid in the face of the unexpected, addicted to distraction. All the peripheral tendencies of childhood are nourished and magnified to a grotesque, grotesque extent by schooling, which, through its hidden curriculum, prevents effective personality development. Indeed, without exploiting the, uh, the fearfulness, selfishness, and ex inexperience of children, our schools could not survive at all. Nor could I, as a certified school teacher, no common school that actually dared to teach the use of critical thinking tools like the dialectic, the heuristic, and other devices that free minds should employ would last very long before being torn to pieces. In our secular society, school has become the replacement for church. And like church, it requires that its teachings must be taken on faith. It is time that we squarely face the fact that institutional teaching is destructive to children. Nobody survives the seven-lesson curriculum completely unscathed, not even the instructors. The method is deeply and profoundly anti-educational. No tinkering will fix it. Nah, no tinkering will fix it. And one of the great ironies of human affairs, the massive rethinking the schools require would cost so much less than we are spending now that powerful interests cannot afford to let it happen. You must understand that first and foremost, the business I, I the the business I am in is a jobs protection project, and an agency for letting contracts. We cannot afford to save money by reducing the scope of our operation or by um, diversifying the product we offer, even to help children grow up right. That is the iron law of institutional schooling. It is a business subject neither to normal accounting procedures nor to the rational scalpel of competition. Some form of free market system in public schooling is the likeliest place to look for answers. A free market where family schools and small entrepreneurial schools and religious schools and craft schools and farm schools exist in profusion to compete with the government education. I'm trying to describe a free market in schooling exactly like the one the country had until the Civil War, one in which 
students volunteer for the kind of education that suits them, even if that means self-education. It didn't hurt Benjamin Franklin that I can see. These options exist now in miniature, wonderful survivals of a strong and vigorous past. They are available only to the resourceful, the courageous, the lucky, or the rich. The near impossibility of one of these better roads opening for the shattered families of the poor, for the bewildered host camped on the fringes of the urban middle class, suggests that the disaster of seven lessons is going to grow unless we do something bold and decisive uh, with the mess of government monopoly schooling. After an adult lifetime spent teaching school, I believe the method of mass schooling is that only real content. I'm sorry, I messed that one up. Uh, I believe that the method of mass schooling is it's only real content. Don't be fooled into thinking that the good curriculum or good equipment of of good teachers are the critical detriments uh, of your son's or your daughter's education. All the pathologies we've considered come about in large measures because the lessons of school prevent children from keeping important appointments with themselves and with their families to learn lessons in self-motivation, perseverance, self-reliance, courage, dignity, and love. And lessons in service to others, too, which are among the key lessons of home and community life. Thirty years ago, these lessons could still be learned in the time left after school. But television has eaten up most of that time. And a combination of television and the stresses peculiar to uh, two-income or single-parent families has swallowed up most of what used to be family time as well. Our kids have no time left to grow up fully human and only thin soil wastelands to do it in. A future is rushing down upon our culture that will insist that all of us learn the wisdom of non-material experience. A future that will demand us as the price of survival that we follow a path of natural life that is economical and material cost. These lessons cannot be learned in schools as they are. School is a 12-year jail sentence where bad habits are the only curriculum truly learned. I teach school and I win awards doing it. I should know. John Taylor Gatto. You can find the rest of that book uh, in the show notes or on my Odyssey channel. I've uploaded a PDF version of that book for your for your consumption out there. So we'll get rid of that and we'll move on to the next thing on the agenda, which was, if I'm not mistaken, I have a little bit of a video intermit a little a video for us and we have a little uh we're gonna we're gonna look at so with this kind of surveillance uh being so we cleared up what stephanie and i were talking about a few weeks ago and now we have this idea of no one can hide right this is something that just kind of kind of disturbs me. Um, no one can hide, right? So what I wanted to bring in is this video from Truth Stream Media. And what's going on right now is we are facing 
we, we seem to be facing as a society an economical collapse, unlike the one that um, Gatto was talking about in his book. By the way, just real quick, let me... Let me see here. When did that book come out? Um, just for a frame of reference. I'm pretty sure that came out back in like the, the early 90s. Yeah, published in 1992. So that kind of, you can see, even though we're what, 30 years, 31 years later, um, how closely that resembles what's what's going on in schools today and how closely that resembles what uh we went through i'm 34 years old that book is 31 uh, 31 years old so i mean i recognize a lot of those things from the time i was in school i'm sure a lot of other people that are conscious of this uh, that might you know set some light bulbs off as well so um but to move on so we're talking about this economical collapse that we're definitely in the middle of. I mean, there's no denying it. I read, uh, I, I, I wish I had the notes to provide this, but food price. To catch the full recording, please explore the show notes and follow a link uh, to one of the other platforms listed there where the full episode can be viewed. We are currently battling a little bit of censorship but I can at least uh, assure you that the entire episode does exist so I hope to see you over there please like and subscribe on one of those other channels in case this Spotify account goes away for good thank you all and keep on traveling down that road to truth <laughs>